Today we'll be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go. Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the purse place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, uh, just a moment ago, as I was walking up here, one of my children leaned over and said, Dad, is it almost over? <laughs> if you're a kid in this room, we want to say we are so happy that you're here. I'm about to preach a sermon, but while I do, we got these kids' bulletins that you can fill out, and if you do, bring it up to me afterwards, and I will give you a prize from a prize bucket that we have over here. Uh, we would love to, we hope you feel welcome, and we hope you're enjoying the service. Also, notice there's some first-time visitors here. If you fill out this card that's in your bulletin, we have some prizes for you as well. Uh, our, our visitor team would love to give you a welcome bag with some mugs and other gifts uh, to to say thanks for joining us today. So fill that out and uh, bring it with you out the door after the service. Um, but yeah, this morning we are continuing our series on the Gospel of John. My name's Logan. I'm one of the pastors here. And I love this uh, book because over and over in the Gospel of John, we get these accounts that just highlight how incredibly compelling Jesus is. His interaction with the Samaritan woman that we just read that comes from John chapter 4, it is so disarming. It is so surprising. When I hear the story, I just wish I could have been there to see the whole thing unfold and, and, and be in, in that space when it was happening because it's, it's such a, a beautiful encounter. And at the center of it, Jesus is dealing with a very simple idea. Thirst. Thirst. It's something we all understand. Every human being on earth knows what it means to be thirsty. A little thirsty is annoying, right? Sleeping in a dry bedroom without a cup of water on the nightstand. A lot thirsty can be devastating. Out under the hot sun with your throat parched and, and sore if that goes on too long, that could literally mean death. And, of, of course, every human being knows what it means to, to quench our thirst. That when we quench our thirst, it's just temporary, right? All of us, every single one of us, every single day, we've got to make an effort to, to stay hydrated, to, to drink enough. Uh, and we know that there is no way that we can ever rid ourselves of thirst forever. It just doesn't happen. And so in this little conversation, Jesus uses that simple idea, that picture of thirst, something we all understand, to talk about a much bigger need, but a need that isn't quite so easy to grasp. It's a little more difficult to wrap our minds around. He's talking about our spiritual need. He's talking about our spiritual thirst. And as he interacts with this woman, we're going to look through this passage, and we'll find out that he tells us three things about our spiritual thirst. First, he tells us that 
He has come for the thirsty. Jesus comes for the thirsty. Secondly, Jesus can quench our thirst, but we have to drink. And finally, a quenched thirst is just the beginning of the story. So let's talk about those things. Jesus says that he comes for the thirsty. And this story, like a lot of stories in scripture, is one of the stories where if we get just a little bit of background information, it helps us to understand more of what's going on in the the story. So we read that in verse 3, Jesus has to go from Jerusalem, uh, from Judea, back to Galilee. And then he had to, in order to do that, he has to travel through this land called Samaria. Now, you can't see this great, but uh, it'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> in Jesus' day, it's worth knowing that, that Samaria and its people, they were looked down upon. And the reason for that went back hundreds of years. So we're in the first century A.D. in this story. But all the way back in 722 B.C., this little area, this northern part of Israel uh, was conquered by Assyria. And when that happened, the people were carried off. Now let's see if we can see this. All the way from here, all the way over here to the land of Assyria. And the people from Assyria moved in. And with the little remnant of the Israelites left, they intermarried with those people. And over the years, as time went on, Samaria started to get this reputation of of being half-breeds. An an ethnic half-breed. People who had intermarried with the pagans. And so if the term ethnic half-breed wasn't clue enough, the people of Judea, they were racist against the Samaritans. They didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. And not only that, in our story, this is not any Samaritan. This is a Samaritan woman. And back in those days, women in general had very few rights. You heard at the end of the passage when the disciples came back and they saw Jesus talking with this woman. It says they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. That is a a tremendous understatement because it would have been unheard of for a rabbi of any stature to be speaking directly with a woman. Women were viewed as a a lower class, unworthy of, of that kind of direct interaction. And again, especially a Samaritan woman. Not too long after this time period, within one generation, one of the rabbis wrote that that Samaritan women are perpetually unclean. So if you were ever to interact with them, it would damage your ability to go to worship and to offer sacrifices. With all that in mind, then, it's, it's no surprise that when this woman starts to interact with Jesus, she has this question She says in verse 9, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The context, the history, all that cultural baggage, it's weighing really heavily on this moment. And what's really cool is right off the bat, you realize Jesus doesn't give a rip about any of that stuff. He is not concerned. He is not concerned with the world's perceptions of this encounter. He is not concerned with any of that. All he cares about is her soul. And not just her soul. You see throughout scripture that it's not just this woman that Jesus spends time with. 
In fact, all over the Gospels, we see these accounts where Jesus valued and trusted women in his ministry. Women were among his closest friends. They were his followers. In fact, Jesus even chose women to be the very first witnesses of his resurrection. And so, in our story, this woman keeps coming back to these cultural concerns in the conversation, but, but he keeps pushing past it. He keeps moving that aside and going straight in for the heart. He tries to get to the main issue, the thing that we're talking about this morning, her spiritual thirst. And he gets there really quickly because Jesus sees her true need. So right off of the bat, when the story starts, we see that this woman, she is out alone in the hottest part of the day in a Middle Eastern country, and she is drawing water. And typically, that type of activity, that was a group activity, that the women would go together to draw water, and they wouldn't do it at noon, right? They would go early in the morning when it was cooler, when there was shade, uh, when it wouldn't be so hot. But she's by herself. She's isolated. Why? Well, maybe it's because she's a social outcast. Or maybe it's because her life has left her with this deep sense of shame that she doesn't want to be around other people. And Jesus, he wastes no time. He, he, they had this little interaction. He asks her for some water. She says, why are you asking me for water? And then Jesus says this, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water, they will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And as you'd expect, the woman says, well, that sounds great. Give me some of that water. And then Jesus hits her with the facts. Go get your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. That's the truth. You have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Now, folks, that's not just a good guess, right? Jesus is the son of God. He knows her. He sees her. And almost on the turn of a dime, immediately, he has taken this little interaction about water and he has pointed it right at her greatest need in life, her spiritual thirst. For her, that thirst was a thirst that had led her from one relationship to another, to another, to another, all throughout her life. It was a thirst for love. It was a thirst for someone who would protect her, someone who would cherish her, someone who would value her. It was a thirst for a relationship where she could be understood, where she could be truly known. It was a thirst for someone who could see her as she was and not leave her behind. And all of her efforts to quench that thirst, well, they'd only made things worse. All of her attempts to fill that deep longing in her heart, they had only done more harm. They'd only made the thirst 
greater. Can you relate to that? I, I can relate to that. Isn't, isn't that how we all live apart from Christ? That we all have inside of us these deep longings that, honestly, these deep longings, they're meant to point us to God. They're meant to drive us to someone who could actually satisfy us. But instead, in our sin, we try everything else. We try to fill that emptiness with everything else instead, don't we? We say, oh, hopefully, hopefully this next thing, that'll meet my need. Hopefully this next thing, that's going to give me what I've been lacking all this time. For this woman, it was a relationship. Someone to give her a sense of value. Someone to give her an identity. Someone to give her security. But for you, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, I don't know, having a certain number in your savings account. And this week when gas prices are skyrocketing and the stock market is falling, how's that going for you? It's a hard thirst to quench. Or maybe it's just a thirst for pleasure. And you're always after that next drink or that next scoop of ice cream or going to that website you know you're not supposed to go to. And those things, they, they never really deliver, do they? They don't meet that need. When we're done with that moment, it still leaves us thirsty. It could be all sorts of things. Maybe it's staying healthy and beautiful and young, or, or maybe it's buying new stuff, or, or maybe it's having a certain status, or maybe it's, I don't know, the success of your, your children. It can be anything. But the fact is, the things that we pursue in this world, if, if that's what we're looking to, to anchor our lives, they're always going to leave us thirsty. Now, I, I love Tom Brady. I know that maybe that's not the most popular thing to say in North Carolina, but it's true. I love Tom Brady. He's awesome. He's the goat. There's no arguing anymore. And I can tell you for a fact that never in my life am I going to have as much fun watching sports as I did year after year in Boston watching the Patriots win the Super Bowl like every other year. It was awesome. And up in Boston, there was also this famous video, though, that went around. It was probably after he won maybe his third Super Bowl or something. It was an interview with uh, a reporter who was just praising him, you know, of how amazing he was. And he says, you know, you've really done everything. You've, you've won three Super Bowls. You're incredibly handsome. You're a multimillionaire. What else is there? And Brady looks, and he, he thinks for a moment, and he gave the most telling answer. He said, well, there's got to be more than this. That's the thirst that I'm talking about. Even the person who has it all is still empty. There's a million different wells that we can drink from to try to fill up that lacking that's in our lives. There's a million places we can go to try to give our lives a sense of purpose and meaning, but they will always come up short. They always leave us searching for more. Charles Spurgeon the great old British preacher, he said, the heart is as insatiable as the grave. The heart is as insatiable as the grave. 
And in the midst of that terrible news, that brutal reality at the center of each of our lives, Jesus shows up and he says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Jesus comes for the thirsty. That's the first point. The second point is this. He can quench your thirst, but you have to drink. Reading this story, I'm sure a lot of you have read this plenty of times, but you probably have noticed this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, parts of it are almost comical, aren't they? It's a little funny, right? Jesus says, you've had five husbands, and the person you're with now is not your husband. And she says, I can tell you're a prophet. (laughs) And then immediately, what does she do? She kind of diverts the conversation. She starts talking about these theological things, about mountains and worship. You know, I think the, in some ways the Samaritan woman would have been a great Presbyterian, right? Just, you know what I mean? Like just when things start to get a little emotional, you know, just when you start to get to the heart of the matter, she says, let's talk about theology. <laughs> you know, I remember Melissa, I met her in seminary, and, and back when we were in seminary, she used to sometimes just stand up and walk away from our lunchroom conversations with all the, the guys in classes because she would be so frustrated that we would always just be talking, you know, theoretically and abstractly instead of about actual life and things that mattered. And that's what this woman's doing, right? She, she is, in verse 19, she's, she's talking about this true fact that Samaritans, they had some different worship practices than the Jewish people. They only read the first five books of the Bible, for instance, instead of all of the Old Testament. And they worshipped on this uh, Mount Gerizim instead of worshipping in the temple at Jerusalem, as Jews were told they must. But what's cool is Jesus doesn't get into that. He doesn't go into the weeds and try to sort out all of that stuff because, like we said already, he sees her. He knows her. He realizes that the finer points of theology are not the problem in this woman's life. She wasn't running from one relationship to the next because she was confused about the right mountain for sacrifices. And so instead, he tells her in verse 21, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. In other words, he's saying that Real worship is not about uh, where you are geographically worshiping. It's not about how you are historically lining up in the story. But real worship is not about uh, the place you're worshiping. It's about who you worship. Real worship is in spirit and in truth. And that, that transcends what town you're from and what race you're from. It transcends our, our cultural divisions. It transcends our geopolitical boundaries. 
in a way, her, her question, it comes out of one of the most basic misunderstandings we have about God. Right here, Jesus, he's standing there and he's saying, I am the living water. Come to me and drink. And her question is, okay, well, what rules are you expecting me to keep? What mountains, what rituals, what rules do you want me to follow? It's that, that old divide that always comes up, the, the difference between the law and the gospel. Do you remember what Jesus said, though, in, in this passage, in verse 10? How did he initiate this, this dialogue? He said, what is it? If you knew the gift of God. He says gift, right? He says that th- th- that right there is the, the essence of the Christian faith. Is it not? That, that our faith is a gift you receive. It's not a payment for something you've done. It's not the reward for, your, for properly following all these rules. But the gift, it does seem too good to be true. Because nothing else on earth is like that. Nothing else on earth is really all that good. All the other buckets that we're drinking from, well, they've got holes in the bottom, don't they? All those other places we're going to try to satisfy our thirst, we have to keep working so hard to fill them up. We're always hustling, always striving to keep those buckets full so that we can hope they might quench this thirst that lives inside of us. But the living water, the water Jesus offers is a gift. You don't have to work for it. In fact, you can't work for it. All it requires is that you drink it. And so that's why Jesus asks her about her husband. He's not trying to shame her. You know that. He's not trying to embarrass her in that moment. No, he's trying to reveal her thirst. He's trying to help her to see what her need really is. He was offering her the one thing she was looking for, a relationship that would never end, a relationship where she could be fully known and never rejected, a partner who would not be afraid of her deepest flaws and and who could even promise to heal the greatest wounds she had inflicted on her life. There's another moment almost exactly like this, a couple of chapters down the road, where Jesus stands up at a festival, and he says almost the exact same thing. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. What is this promise? What's that all about? What is Jesus shouting about? What's he offering? Well, he's offering you eternal life. He's offering you freedom from the bondage to your sin. 
It is that good news, the basic good news that Jesus came to live the good life that you can't live. And then by his death on the cross, to give us that gift, the free gift of salvation, of liberation from sin and death. Freedom from those buckets that we are always carrying around. In Psalm 63, David writes, he says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you like in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And Jesus, the great son of David, responds by saying, well, come to me and drink. Come to me today. And you'll never be thirsty again. In John 7, it says he declares it with a loud voice, and I think that's helpful, because I think some of us need to hear a loud voice today. I think some of you, I think some, all of us, we need to be woken up. Jesus needs to call us back to our senses. Do you need him to call you back to your senses? He is the only one who can satisfy your thirst. Maybe some of you here have forgotten that. Maybe you've gotten used to drinking out of those worthless wells. Those places that that never can meet your needs and you just don't know how to stop. Maybe you've, you've turned some of those good gifts that God has given you into gods themselves. And it's stolen your joy. Maybe you've sought after lesser things. Money. Or lust or power, reputation fitting in. And you're just desperate for something real. Well, here it is. Jesus says, put down the bucket. He says, repent, turn your life to him and drink the living water. Jesus can quench your thirst. But you've got to drink. But here's the really cool part. We find out in this passage that a quenched thirst is really just the beginning of the story. It's not the end. It's, it's the beginning. Uh, this woman, her story is incredible. And especially when you start to think about where she falls in the whole book of John, right? We're studying the whole book. This isn't just a one-off sermon. You remember just two weeks ago, we talked about Nicodemus. It's chapter 3. We're in chapter 4. Do you remember who Nicodemus was? Nicodemus was, was the guy it seemed like was going to figure it all out, right? He was the man, and this, this is a woman. He was a Jew, and this person we're dealing with today, she's a Samaritan. She's from this hated hybrid race. Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel, but she is nameless. He's a, a member of the Sanhedrin, but she's a nobody. Nicodemus, he knew all the scriptures. And this woman, she's bogged down in all this strange Samaritan folklore. He's the picture of morality. And she is an immoral woman. And yet, you remember at the end of that, Nicodemus, he leaves kind of confused and questioning. But what about her? Well, it says that in our passage, 
She hears from Jesus and she says, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And what does she do with that information? She hears that Jesus is the Messiah, and then in verse 28 it says, Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now look, you got to see in that verse, I, she left her water jar. Now I read a bunch of commentaries this week, and there were a couple of commentaries that are like, well, you know, it doesn't really clearly stay. We, don't, we can't really read too much into this. But I'm going to tell you, you should read too much into this. Right? John did not tell us this whole story about the living water and drawing with a bucket and then to end with this detail that she left her water jar behind. He wants you to know that she believed. And so she left her water jar behind. Now, obviously, she'll have to keep drinking literal water. That's not the point of the story. But the point is that this woman got it. And what's even better than that, once you think about what kind of woman she was, what kind of life she had led, the fact that she's out at noon all by herself so people can't see her, and then you see this woman who was an outcast, this woman who, who was filled with, with shame, this last part is so beautiful because she goes back to the people. Not with shame, but she goes back with excitement. She goes back with joy and she says, come and see. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen. This woman has become a well this woman has become a spring of water herself. She went from being this reclusive, shame-filled person thirsting under the desert sun, and now she is an oasis for her entire town. Come and see. We've heard that before. It's the same thing the disciples said when they first met Jesus. Come and see. Come and see. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when you hear the good news. This is what happens when you encounter the good news. It's what happens when you drink living water. If Christianity is just a religion, if it's a religion that tells you rules that you need to live by, rituals you need to practice, places you need to go on what day of the week, well, then this isn't what you do. Come and see is not what you do. No, if, if Christianity is a religion, here's what you do. You proselytize. You go and you hand out booklets and put them on people's car. You yell at them through a megaphone. You wear sandwich boards that tell people they're going to hell. At my college, we had a guy like that. In our town, I think we got a couple of church marquees that get pretty close to that. Nobody likes that, right? Nobody wants that. But if you have water in the desert, if you have resources that will bring life to a people who are dying all around you, you share it, right? And you know who wants it? Thirsty people. They want it. Nobody has to force you. 
No one has to tell you to go out and do it. You can't help but share good news. The good news for the thirsty, it becomes a well inside of you. A spring that springs up. I want you to hear that this morning. As as we wrap up, I want you to understand that, that what Jesus came to offer is not simply important news to keep you out of hell. It is that. But what he has is good news. Good news that that all of those deep longings that have run your life, all of that stuff going on deep down inside you, those thirsts can be quenched. But only by him. And the great news is, when we finally go to him, When we finally turn to him and say, I want to drink. I want to follow you with my life. I want to to know you. Well, he doesn't just give us a little bit of water, right? He gives us a flood. A flood of of nourishment for our soul that actually has enough in it to water the whole world around us. I told you a, a couple of seconds ago that Charles Spurgeon said, The heart is as insatiable as the grave. Remember that? Well, I tricked you. He didn't really say that. (laughs) Here's here's what Charles Spurgeon really said. He said, the heart is as insatiable as the grave until Jesus enters it. And then it becomes a cup full to overflowing. So what about you today? Is your cup overflowing? Are you going out into this world as a transformed person today? Or is it time for you to put down your bucket? That bucket that's left you living thirsty for so long. Is it time for you to turn, maybe for the first time, maybe for the the 5,000th time, back to the source of living water, the blood of our, our crucified Savior? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the truth and the good news of this gospel that, that you give freely a gift that we don't deserve. And Lord, we confess that we are easily fooled, that we believe the lies of this world, that we think the small things can satisfy us and they only leave us worse off. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who needs your grace, and your mercy. I pray that you would give it to them today. I pray for anyone who came here this morning seeking you, Lord, that you would find them. I pray for all of us, Lord, in need of grace, God. Would you pour out your living water into our hearts?